0: I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. And uh, I'll try to read through it. Lamentations 3 and 22, and, and then Hebrews 6, 10 through 19, and then there'll be uh, Psalms 89 and 1. It'll be behind me. It is the Lord's mercy, mercies that we are not consumed. In other words, it, it's we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to live. We don't deserve life eternity, eternal, but it's because of His mercies that we are not destroyed. It's because of His compassions, fail not, that they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every day, and the reasons, reason why that... He made it that way is because every single one of us have to have His mercy, not just once in a lifetime or a few times in our lifetime, but every single day. Now, think about how gracious He is compared to us. Every single day, His mercies are made new. That's amazing to me. That just, that just excites me to know that. Hebrews six ten through 19, For God is not unrighteous, to forget your work and labor of love which ye have shewed uh, toward his name and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister and we desire that every one of you do show show the same diligence in the full assurance of the hope unto the end that ye be not slothful but followers of them that through faith and patience inherit the promises for when god made promise to abraham because he could not swear by no greater he swearing by himself saying surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying and I will multiply thee and so after the patient uh, he had patiently endured he had obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater and an oath uh, uh, for confirmation is to them at end at all strife wherein God willing more abundantly show unto the heirs of promise and This word here is, to me, is a tongue twister. (laughs) Immutability. I I see I messed it up. It's a Southern Illinois thing. Forgive me. Of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entered or entereth into within the veil. Psalms 89 and 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. My mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. This morning, I want to talk to you for a while about God is a faithful God. God is faithful. How many in here this morning can say for sure that God has been faithful to you? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. God being faithful. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Peter Drucker has a book called The Daily Drucker said, character is not something one can fool people out of. People may forgive a person for a great deal. They may forgive you for being incompetent. Or they may forgive you for being ignorant. Or insecurity. Or having bad manners. But they will not forgive one for the lack of integrity. And our courts... They deal sternly with dishonesty. They endeavor to persuade people to tell the truth by requiring them to swear to tell the truth. And not just a part of the truth, but the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Further, they severely punish those that are guilty of perjury. They cannot stand, they cannot forgive that uh, for people that lie. And I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves, besides somebody that steals, is somebody that constantly lies. Have you ever heard somebody that constantly lies or embellishes the truth? And the scripture it, it also deals harshly with dishonesty as well. Lying corrupts the ability to make free or logical choices. The problem with lying that uh lying is because it is built on a false Uh, a false uh, structure, if you will, one has to keep lying to cover up the other lie because uh, the foundation of a lie, it easily sinks, which truth is built on solid ground. Truth does not falter. Every lie corrupts moral worth and robs others of their freedom to choose rationally. God also established honesty as a primary moral principle. God himself is the epitome of truth. He never exaggerates. He never compromises the truth. Matter of fact, Jesus said it himself, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Uh, Think about that, what he said, "As as great as the earth is as great great as our universe is, as grace or great as the heavens are that are above our heads, uh, he said that his truth, his word, his Bible is greater than that. Everything else around us will falter, everything that you see in this world will fall to the ground it will de- it'll burn up it'll destroy it'll die, but he said everything. Besides, His Word will pass away. Can I tell you this morning that you can rest assured that the Word of God will stand sure. The Word of God does not have to stand trial. It doesn't have to exaggerate. You don't have to ever worry about the Word of God, wondering if it's right. It's a fact. I, I don't. I, 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 most of the time, I, I, I talk to people... When I, when, I, when I start uh, witnessing to them, uh, the first thing that I ask them is this. Do you believe that the Word of God is the infallible Word of God? Do you believe that the Bible is true and every word in it? And I usually go from there. I, I don't waste my breath on people. that say, well, I believe that there's too many faults in the Word of God, and it, there's too many mistakes, and it was written by men. And that's my first inclination to say, you know what? There's probably not much hope for your soul because if you don't believe that the Word of God, His Word is true, you're not going to believe that God is true. And we, we, a lot of times we waste our time on people that do not believe that the Word of God is truth. I'm not saying that there's no hope for them. I'm just saying that many times that you'll waste your breath on people that do not believe that the Word of God is truth. What do you do? You show them, I want to show you in the Word of God that what you're doing or what we're doing is wrong. They, then they don't believe it. So there's no reason to waste your breath. That's why Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet and walk on. Find somebody else that'll receive the Word. That's biblical. Kind of quiet in here this morning. This time that we live in, it's a time of shaking. A time when our society seems unwillingly or unable to face reality. Tensions mount as moral structures are crumbling. Many people question the basic principles of honesty, faithfulness, and diligence. Many individuals openly promote defiant, uh, def- excuse me, def- uh, deviant lifestyles. Uh, you can't turn on stinking television on and not see the immorality. Uh, you you, you can—it's—it's it's all over the place. I see it on kids shows. My my kids—I'm very uh, careful uh, about what they watch. It just—it sickens me that you can see traces of of trash and junk on the kids shows. Words that that my kids don't need to be hearing. And uh, you, you can't turn a, a show on anymore. And I'm—I'm I'm sorry if I offend anybody in here. Uh, but well, no, I'm not, brother. Brother Fox, you're going to get on to me for saying that. But it's wrong to live a homosexual lifestyle. Do right. 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 you know they can throw me in jail for saying that, for hate speech? But I'm telling you this today that it's all over the television. You can't turn on a show where they don't show it, it's even in cartoons. Yes, it is. And it's a lie from hell. God loves the sinner. But he hates the sin. I'll say it again. God loves the sinner. But he hates the sin. People don't like to hear the truth anymore. It's it's not politically correct. But the Bible truly is not politically correct either. Because it stands against all that junk. Uh, The world tremors of uncertainty increase with frequency and intensity. For many years, statistics have suggested that nearly one-half of U.S. marriages end with divorce. That's a sad thing. While that number is now decreasing, so is the number of individuals who marry. Many couples uh, live together without even the benefit of marriage. Uh, the home, the, fi- the, the homes in the world have been torn apart. And uh, I was just talking to the principal of our school the other day that their kid, he, he sees it when they have Grandparents Day. He said he had one kid that had eight grandparents there at one time. Eight grandparents. He said that the, this kid, he dealt with him for, for a few years, and he wondered why in the world that this kid had, had acted out and had all kinds of uh, problems in school, and to, to, to find out that he had eight different sets of rules. And that's the way our, our world has become. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's like that. And I, I, I looked this up this morning. I wanted to read this to you. If I can see it, it's, it's small. It's, it's, it's in our leadership in our country. Listen to this. According to an investigation of Capitol Hill Blue, an online publication that covers federal politics, a remarkable number of U.S. Now, some of you all won't be surprised. They get this. A number of U.S. representatives and U.S. senators have, have spent as much time in, ge- in a jail cell as, a, as on Capitol Hill. Twenty-nine members of Congress have been accused of spousal abuse. Seven of them, seven congressmen and representatives have been arrested for fraud. Nineteen have been accused of writing bad checks. hundred and seventeen of them have been bankrupt at least two businesses, uh, three have been arrested for assault. 71 have, uh, credit reports so bad that they can't even qualify for a credit card. 14 have been arrested on drug-related charges. Eight have been arrested for shoplifting. Twenty-one are current, uh, current, uh, defendants in lawsuits. And in 19, or excuse me, 1980, 98 alone, 84 were stopped for drinking and driving. That's what this world looks to. that That's what this world is used to seeing. That's what our kids are seeing uh, as their leaders in this world today. But thankfully, say thankfully, there is a source of strength that is entirely dependable in this time of stress and, st- and strain. Uh, thankfully, there is an anchor that we see in this world that is not of this world. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the anchor. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you're going to be unstable. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your home, your home will be faulty. If you don't have Jesus Christ in the schools, there's going to be violence. If you don't have Jesus Christ in the courthouse, there's going to be chaos. We need a revival of Jesus Christ. I said, we need a revival of Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my, I, I better go on because I'm going to get in trouble. No, just I, I, it just sickens me. It just sickens me to hear uh, how our nation has, has left the foundation, uh, the foundational teachings of, in which our forefathers have, have have had written about i understand i understand that uh the very constitution that set us free in some ways is the very reason it, it, it kind of hinders us when they say freedom of religion. And we have freedom of religion. We ran from the tyranny of, of, of Great Britain because they were, they, they were forcing certain religious views down the throats of men and women. And they come to the United States and they wrote out the Constitution which says a freedom of religion, which now everything is a religion. And people are worshiping cows and people and, and cars and, and their lifestyles. Uh, and that's their choice. But I'm going to tell you something here today. I, I, don't want to, uh, I, I don't want to make anybody mad, but I'm going to tell you the truth. If you don't serve Jesus, you're serving the wrong God. If you're serving Allah or Muhammad, you're serving a lie. Those were just men, those were just men that somebody put on a pedestal. But I, can I tell you what separates the, uh, my God from their God is a God that went in a tomb and three days later he himself rose from the dead. The world's gods are made of idols. The world's gods are made of men that still are in a tomb. But the God of the Apostolic Church is a God that raised himself from the dead. Hallelujah. The true God. The God is 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 the one the God that I serve, the God that we serve is great and constant in the universe. He's the unchanging factor in the Uh, equation of our life when people do not hold him at the center of their lives something vital is missing there is an imbalance in their life but when we exalt god and put him in the rightful place we realize that he is the solution to life's problems uh can i tell you this morning that drugs and alcohol uh is not the solution to your life's problems The problem with drugs and alcohol, they may mask your problems for a while. They may make you forget about your problems just for a, a few, a day or two. But you'll wake up the next morning and those problems will still be right there. You'll still suffer from depression. You'll still suffer from oppression. You'll still suffer from financial difficulties. But when you have a God like this God... You have a God that's in your corner. He is the answer to all problems. Amen. God is true as well as consistent. He spoke through Balaam the prophet declaring that unlike mankind, he cannot lie. Uh, in, in Numbers, according to Numbers 23 and 19, was the Lord m- uh, merely boasting, or did he uh, is he was he just telling the truth? God was it wasn't like he was telling uh, and bragging uh, because he had some kind of inferiority complex, but he was speaking the absolute truth when he said, "I cannot lie." Individuals who have known the Lord personally are the most qualified to declare how upright and dependable He is. That's why it's important that we have strong pillars in the church. Because they've been there. They've been through the turmoil in their life. They've, they've been through the temptations. They've been through Failure they 've been through loss and pain and uh, whether it 's grandchildren and children and, and aunts and uncles, mothers and fathers, and they still stand the test of time when things get bad. Am I calling them perfect? No, but they 're here yes. because, and they know through experience that God is faithful, yes. that God would never leave them or forsake them and You can look and read both sides of the uh, in both old and the New Testament present, many witnessed to the, uh, the re- reliability of God and His Word. If you study the life of Joshua, you'll find that he was an outstanding leader who followed Moses as the leader of the people of Israel. From, his, uh, from the first, he exercised a complete uh, dependence upon God and His promise. Uh, Joshua was a man of prayer as well as a man of action. And through his efforts, Israel was able to conquer and settle the land of Canaan just prior to Joshua's death, he testified before the people, Not one thing, not one thing hath failed all that the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. He has never, ever failed me. He has never failed me. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed Thereof, In other words, everything that God has ever promised me in my life, everything that God has ever wanted to give me or spoke to me that He was going to give me, his words, uh his words that come to me, they have been fulfilled in my life. He said that on his deathbed. His words were testimony to the reliability of God. And you can study throughout the history of the Word of God. David was another of Israel's leaders who discovered that he could always depend on God. You look at his life. And I, I can't find really anybody in Scripture. That had failed God any more or on a greater scale than what David did. After God, what God had done for David, pulled him out of his house when his own brothers and his own father didn't believe in him. He was with him on a battlefield and, and he would become a giant killer. He taught his kids, or excuse me, his servants and his doorkeepers how to kill giants. He was the light of Israel. And then he went on to commit adultery with Bathsheba. And then his baby died and had uh, had uh, Uriah killed. Murder and adulteress. And his failure, complete failure. It seemed as though that he was, his life would become worthless. Though he had his dark days for sure. He learned to lean on the powerful arm of the Lord. And in the, some of his final words, on his final words, David proclaimed the faithfulness of the Lord. Faithfulness of the Lord. I want to tell you this morning that we will never truly understand the patience of God. We will never ever understand the long-suffering of God and, the pu- and His pure, unconditional love that God has for us until we fail Him. We'll never understand how long-suffering He is until we need forgiveness. Until you're in the middle of it. When you're destitute and you feel all alone and you failed Him. You'll never understand his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. You'll not know, understand what his mercy and grace is about until you have failed. I'm not encouraging you to go out and fail to receive his mercy, but I can guarantee it every single person in this room has had. Had to have the mercy and the grace of God working in their lives at one time or the other. We will never truly understand his ability to deliver until we cannot help ourselves. We will never understand his ability uh, to heal until we have dealt with pain. <laughs> pain and sickness. You've had to understand that you've, you've had to lean on that, haven't you, Brother Sims, in, in this last year, haven't you? He was telling me about that the other day, and he was thanking God that through his pain and, and what he's had to go through, that he's had to lean on God more than he's ever had to lean on Him. It's like Joshua. Joshua needed deliverance from a mindset of, the, of a slave mentality. Uh, Joshua come from a long line of people that griped and complained. They had a slave mentality of over 400 years. They, the children of Israel uh, were slaves. And it would have been very easy for Joshua and his cohort Caleb to have that same kind of mentality. But because he refused to believe that he was a slave, God empowered him to become a deliverer himself. David... "...needed deliverance from his failures, and God revealed to him his mercy and forgiveness, and made him a man after God's own heart. Our failures, listen to me, all our failures are not a repellent to God. He is not scared of our failures." He doesn't look at us like men do and not forgive. He doesn't look at us when we fail and say, I don't want nothing to do with him or, or her. I, I, I think they're, they're, they're too far gone. But our failures are opportunities for Him to prove that He is a God of mercy. Let that sink in for a minute. Our failures are not a repellent to God. There are opportunities for him to prove that he is a God of mercy. That he is a God of mercy, not just once in our life or twice in our life, or when we initially come down and get the Holy Ghost, but every day. Every day he reveals himself to be true. Every day he reveals himself to be faithful. Our weakness doesn't face God at all. His strength, the Bible says matter of his strength is made perfect. It's made complete in our weakness. Our weaknesses doesn't intimidate him. It's just opportunity for God to become powerful in our lives, to show us that He can bring us out, that He is our deliverer. It's at our lowest times in life that we truly recognize that God is truly faithful. He's faithful. Amen. If God is true, then his word must be absolutely reliable; His word contains no exaggeration or half truth, and since the scriptures reveal that the character uh, excuse me since the scriptures reveal that the character and will of God, a distortion of the word of God, is a distortion of god's character, we may wonder at at the precision that it is everywhere displayed in nature. nature does teach does teach how. God is, is true in His own nature. Fine-tuned accuracy in the heavens and the, uh, and the earth uh, has allowed mankind to measure, to be able to see that God is, stands true. And my point is this, that when you look at the tide of the Atlantic coast of North America, for example, to continually changes from high to low in about 6 hours, 13 minutes. The moon takes 77 days, or 27 days, excuse me, Seven hours, 43 minutes to rotate on its axis, and about the same time to go about the earth, hurling through space at 67,000 miles per hour. The earth takes one year to circle the earth. Accuracy? Yes, there is accuracy in everything that God does. In James 1 and 17, it declares that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. His very nature, His very creation is perfect. i got to be very careful what I say. I I, I thought about a long time this morning about how to say this, or if I should say it. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I know I'm probably going to get some... I may get some of y'all's... I may suffer repercussions for saying what I'm going to say. God doesn't make mistakes, okay? We know that. I've heard people say... Don't jump to conclusions because I'm really nervous about saying what I'm getting ready to say. But I'm going to qualify what I'm going to say, all right? Mr. Robertson, if you want to kick me, you can. God doesn't make people sick. God doesn't give people cancer. Okay? You believe that. Does does anybody have a problem with that statement? And I've heard people say, with their kid, they had some kind of deformity, God made you that way. It makes everybody feel nice and good, doesn't it? Well, I'm special and God made me this way. Because everybody has some kind of flaws in their life. I had two boys. uh, 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 One of my sons has the potential to have extremely bad uh, eye problems. Tyler had had to get problems or uh, had to get glasses yesterday. Have Have you seen him this morning in his glasses? Has he got them on? But for me to come and tell my son, God made you that way. It's to say that God makes, when God does something, he, uh, I choose to make you this way, I choose to make you deaf, I choose to give you this, these uh, handicap issues or whatever we want to call it. God doesn't make people. He doesn't make p- uh, mistakes, okay? Life causes problems and issues. We happen to live in an imperfect world. I'm way out on a limb right now. I can feel it. But we pass mistakes on God. God, God did it. God chose to chose to gave to make my son healthy. But he he gave you a son that's not healthy, and that's God. That makes God look bad. And God does not make mistakes. But for years we've heard it. Well, God made this child like this, and. It's nice to hear. It's nice to hear that because it makes the child feel a lot better that Jesus loves them and He does love them. And he, did, did, he doesn't, He's no respecter person. But unfortunately, we live in imperfect bodies, so there's going to be flaws. And we all have them. But God does not make mistakes. God doesn't love me more than He loves somebody else that's in a wheelchair. And that's what we've created in the world. We look at God and say, well, God, God made it this way. Well, why does why is my son uh, walk better than yours? Or why can my son see better than yours? Or hear better than yours? But that's not on God. It, it appears, if that's the case, that God chooses to bless people more than others. And God's no respecter of person. And he's accurate in everything he does. Unfortunately, we live in a world that's imperfect. <laughs> well, I got to get back. I just wanted to say that because I think a lot of times. People look at God. I've had, I've, I've witnessed to people and telling how how great God is, and he'll say, "Well, okay, then why is there so many people in, in Africa with so much so all the AIDS, and why is there so many people sick? Why is he do that? God doesn't do it, and God loves those people just as much as He loves us. God does not make mistakes." God's Word is true, and it's enduring. It is more sure than the sun and the moon and the tide. In fact, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word shall not pass away. He is a faithful, faithful God. Am I in trouble? Sister Robertson shaking her head yes. Hmm. Yes, sir. He can't, God, in this, excuse me, in the scripture, a covenant was a sacred agreement between two individuals that required a, com, a commitment, uh, trust between the two. They sealed the covenant with an oath, and often a ceremony of commitment followed. Numerous and varying examples of such ceremonies appeared in the Old Testament. Example: Individuals uh, in Jeremiah 34. Individuals passed between an animal uh, cut in half. That was a, there was a covenant there. Uh, in Genesis 31, individuals ate a meal together. That was a covenant. They come together, had fellowship, and they made covenants. Individuals made a, a, a agreement using salt in Numbers 18 and 19, and Second Chronicles 13 and 5. Of all covenants, however, the greatest and most trustworthy are those made between God and mankind. But when men make covenants, they pledge themselves by the name of someone greater than themselves. You've heard someone say, I swear to God, or I swear on my son's life, or I swear on on someone else's life. They're they're always trying. That's how they proved that they're telling the truth. But when God committed Himself to mankind, the Bible says He swore by Himself, for there is no higher authority. This God did, did when He made a promise to Abraham in Hebrews 6 and 13. And this He also has done for those who have become partakers of His grace. In this hope, Christians have a tremendous anchor of the soul, an anchor that reaches, as it were, beyond the veil and into the very presence of the Almighty. God swore by Himself. He made a promise and a covenant according to his own abilities which are infinite which are endless they never ever he never runs out of power he never runs out of uh, uh, of of grace he never runs out of mercy so he swore by himself which is the highest standard there is i'm going to tell you this morning if god has ever made you a promise you can rest assured that it will happen If God promised you that He would save your parents, then it will happen. If God has promised you that He would save your children, it will happen, and your grandchildren. Because God cannot lie. It goes against the very nature of Himself. His word is forever settled in heaven. He cannot lie. The only thing. The only thing that can come between the promises of God in our life is whether we choose to obey. When God told Moses, he said, I've given you a promised land. It's yours. You can have it. You can take it. It's yours. It's a promise. He promised to Abraham hundreds of years before Moses was supposed to go in there. It's yours. But Moses only got to see it. He never got to enter into it. But it was a promise. And the promise and the prophecy was only depending on whether he obeyed God's word or not. God can promise you, I can give you a ministry that you'll love. I'll use you in, my, in a mighty way. I'm going to use you in healing. I'm going to use you here. But we, it's only up to us to, to capture those promises. Did you hear, all, did you feel all the air deflate out of this place? I'm going to use you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you in a mighty way. I'm gonna use you in, in music. I'm gonna use you to preach. I'm gonna use you to teach. I'm gonna use you. You're gonna go and, and, and do, see great and and incredible things. I, I think I'm gonna take a sabbatical. I think I'm gonna leave here for a while and I just, I'll just go out and do my own thing. Those promises, just because they did not come true doesn't make God a liar. Was God a liar because Moses only got to see? Was God's promise built on false, uh, a false foundation because He didn't get His promise? And somebody else got His promise? It was in the Word of God. He said, if you do this, I will do that. That's how God promises. If my people who are called by my name, if, I, it's a promise I'm going to heal your land. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to send revival. But you've got to do this. Salvation. I promise you. I'm going to send the wind and the fire. But you have to repent. It's a promise. It's a promise unto you and to your children and, and to them that are far off. It is a promise. Salvation. But it's up to us to hold the end of our, our bargain. We, it's up to us to obey the Word of God. In order to get those promises. As far as uh, God is concerned. His commitments are permanent. And they are unchangeable. We might break the uh, covenant between us and the Lord. And consequently lose out on His provisions. But God remains true. God remains true. And there are people that I've seen walk out of the church. Over the years uh, that I've I've been in church. Which... Has been most of my life. And they said, Well, you know, God God promised me this, and it didn't happen. And what they didn't know was right before God was going to fulfill that promise, they walked out. And there are people that are backslid. People are mad at God. People are mad at the pastor. People are mad at the church. Because it didn't happen for them. And they walked out before God had a chance, a chance to give them what He promised them. You can't receive a gift unless you're there present to receive a gift. You can't receive the promises of God unless you're under the umbrella of His promises. Gospel of John contains a number of key statements in which Jesus identified himself in various ways using the expression "I am," followed by varying descriptions. For example, in John eight twelve, Jesus said, "I am the light of the world." And John eight uh, nine, uh, excuse me, John ten and nine, he said, "I am the door." One of Christ's claims was that he is the truth. John fourteen and six. The following are eleven others. I am claims by Christ. In one passage, he said, "I am the bread of life." I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the master and the Lord. I am He. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life and the true vine. In what has been called the upper room discourse, Jesus told His disciples, He soon would leave them. But And struggling to understand His words, they begin to question Him. Because being around Him, they seen all these mighty works, and they could always lean on him. They he was always there. He's the one that told them. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But he just got done telling them. He said, Uh I am I'm gonna I'm gonna have to leave. And they what they didn't understand what he was going to bodily leave them. He but he wasn't going to leave them stranded. Peter asked, Lord, whither thou goest? Uh, the Lord, why can't I I cannot follow thee. Why can I go with you? Thomas questioned, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? John 14 and 5, the 11... Uh and the eleven every, all of a sudden seemed uncertain. They seemed uh, uneasy because Jesus got them telling them that he was going to leave. But Jesus assured his disciples he would prepare a place for them in his father's house just as a Jewish bridegroom prepared for his, uh, his betrothed in his father's house before the marriage. In, a- in answer to Thomas's question, Jesus explained to them. He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. These were absolute claims. The disciples were to depend fully upon Jesus. He was not the only, uh, only the way, excuse me, to the Father. Uh, He, but he was the only way to life's principles that was given by the Father. But he uh, he was also the fullness of truth regarding the Father. He said, I'm going to leave for a while, but I'm going to send my comforter. And right then was a fulfillment of the prophecy when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Just because he was leaving them in the flesh. Didn't mean he was going to leave them comfortless. Because as you know, he told them, he said, Go and tarry in Jerusalem until I send my comforter. That's what the Holy Ghost is. That when we get up in the morning, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you have Jesus in your heart. It's more than just going, I accept the Lord as my own personal Savior Getting a card from a church that says you're a member of a church. I accept you, God. Who are we to accept God? God should be accepting us. He's the perfect one. I accept you, God. You're all right with me. I accept you into my club. That's foolish. He said, I, I I'm gonna, he, and he gave him, he gave him the keys to death, hell, and the grave, uh, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and filling with all the Holy Ghost. And he said, my, my presence should be enough. And I was gonna, I, I was gonna wait to another time to preach this. But if you look, if you look at the 15th chapter of Genesis, God visited Abraham. But that wasn't the first time he visited Abraham. In chapter 12, you, if you study it, God had just got done telling Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going I'm, I'm to bless your seed. Look up, stars of the heaven. He said, that's how many children and grandchildren that you're going to have. As, as far as the eye can see. And he said, then he, he looked at, in the day and he said, look at the sands of the sea. He said, I'm going to bless you. As many as the sands are of the sea, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless wherever you walk, wherever you do. I'm going to bless you. And in chapter 15, the Bible says God shows up and he speaks to Abraham. He says, Abraham, he said, I'm your shield, which means protector. I'm your guard. That when the enemy comes in to to hurt you and destroy you, try to attack your mind, and attack your heart, he said, I'm going to protect you. That's nice. That would be nice to... I could go to sleep at night knowing that God spoke to me and said, I'm your protection. I'm your shield. Don't worry about anything. Anybody comes to hurt you, I'm going to pop a cap in them. He's the Godfather. Then, look at it. He said, I'm not only that. He said, but... He said, "I'm your exceeding great award an award, a gift. I belong to you, and i'm not I'm not just a gift, but I'm your exceeding great award. I'm beyond anything that you've ever expected. I'm yours. You know what Abraham said right after you look at it. Do you have it? Can you put that up there real quick? This wasn't here." But it's a good time to use it. Uh, Genesis 15. Verse 1, I'm sorry. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. Now keep it there. That is an incredible promise. It seems as though that he would would be fulfilled or... His expectations would be even, uh, that God even uh, excelled or exceeded his expectations. He was his protector. He's his greater reward. Now look at the next, the very next verse. That just preaches itself. He said, and Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? You know what he was saying? God this, God just got done to tell him. I'm the truth in your life. I'm your foundation. I'm, I, 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 you, can, you can come to me for anything. I'm your very present help in the time of trouble. I, I, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. And Abraham said, what are you going to give me? Your presence isn't really enough in my life. I want want more. I I don't want the giver of the gift. I want a gift. And that's just the how how people are in the the church. That's why they backslide. Because they're not satisfied with the giver of the gift. They just want gifts and stuff to benefit. He's like... You're, I know you're my great reward. I, I, I know you're exceeding in my life. I know you're firm in truth. I know you're everything, what you said, and you've lived up to it. You're faithful. But what are you, what are you going to give me to benefit me seeing I go childless? And God had already, I, I talked to some preachers about this. He said, well, the reason why, uh, not, not anybody here, wasn't somebody here, but I had a preacher tell me, uh, the reason that, that that Abraham said was because God knew, or Abraham knew that God wanted to bless him, hogwash. He wasn't satisfied with the presence of God. He had the same mentality that Philip had when he said, show us the Father so it will satisfy us. In other words, I'm not satisfied with you. I know you're the way and the truth and the life. But show me the Father, because I'm not satisfied with just your presence. I want something else to satisfy me, to to benefit me through life. When all the time, when he didn't realize it, because he was his shield and because he was his reward, he got all the benefits of the gift giver. But he wanted extensions of. When you have Jesus in your life, you have it all. He is everything to us. That's why people, people constantly, they feel like they they have, they, they have to have a need. They feel like they have to walk away. They feel like they have to find more outside the church. There's nothing else. There isn't anything. He's our shield. He's our protection. He's our reward. He's everything. You don't need anything else. David Livingston, famed missionary to Africa, stood with the only one useful arm by his side. The other had been crushed by a lion. Livingston addressed the University of Glasgow, where he was to receive a doctorate at law. He said, Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among the the, uh, people whose uh, language I could not understand? And whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and often hostile. This is what he said. This is what got me through. It was this, the scripture that said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's what got him through. One one passage of scripture When you don't have anything left, you don't have any other option to trust in God. God is the only thing that cannot fail us. God's word is forever settled. Jesus Christ is represented in the introduction of the book of Revelations with honor. John, his servant, who once had seen the Lord rejected and crucified, saw him on the isle of Patmos. Patmos. In great splendor, the, ex- the exiled disciple declared that Christ, along with other uh, designations, is rightfully called the faithful witness. He was alone. You know what blows my mind about John the Revelator? He didn't have anybody around him to witness how good a preacher he was. And he still lived for God. He had no other motives. He, he, didn't have, he, he, he didn't have anybody watching him worship. He was alone. He was by himself. And he still gave it all he had. He didn't need to have, prove it to anybody. He still lived for God. He still lived because he knew that truth was the only thing was going to keep him from destruction. My goodness. In every respect. Christ was faithful. In the discharge of his duties. The word witness. In Revelations five Is translated from the Greek word. "mardis," Also translated martyr. In English. Christ. Vindicated his testimony by performing all inspiring miracles. Peter said in Acts 10 and 38 that Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed with the, uh, with the devil. Jesus vindicated his testimony through suffering and, the de- and, and his death. That authentic- uh, he was authenticated. Lord have mercy. His message by raising from the dead and pouring out his spirit upon his followers. John who used the word witness some fifty times in the New Testament was thoroughly impressed by this one whom he saw on the Isle of Patmos. The harsh realities of John's own exile faded. There, John saw his exalted Lord in person. As John was in the spirit of the Lord, uh, uh, spirit of the Lord in the Lord's day in Revelations one and ten, Jesus gave him instructions as to what to write to the seven churches of Asia. In Revelations 3, he was instructed to write to the Laodicean church. Though self-confident, this church was wretched. It was miserable and poor and blind and naked, according to Revelations 3 and 17. What a pathetic situation. They needed gold for their, for their uh, poverty. They needed white raiment for their nakedness and salve for their eyes. Many scholars regard Laodicea as a type of the last stage of the church age before the rapture. And at the least, Laodicea represented a lukewarm and an uncommitted uh, Christian uh, in every st- stage of the church period. We talk about that. We've, we've heard it preached about that we're living in the last day where it's lukewarm and uncommitted. In his personal description of himself to the Laodicean congregation, Christ called himself the Amen and faithful faithful and true witness. Jesus indeed, the Amen, the final truth, the fulfillment of God's promise. He is the true and faithful witness upon which all men may depend. He speaks with complete accuracy. Christ, listen to me, Christ told the Laodicean church in Revelations 3 and 17, Thou knowest not, but he knows all. There is nothing hiding from the eyes of Christ. He searches even the hearts of mankind. Even the, La- the church of Laodicea, however, uh, seen, they thought there was no hope. But Christ said, even through your lu- lukewarmness, even through your trials and your tribulations, even though that you're halfway in and halfway out, because I am strong and I am firm and I am the truth and the way and the life, you can still find your way to heaven. We, we, We look at situations and go, well... It, that's impossible. God can't, God can't salvage those people. Those people are too far gone. Have you ever felt that about yourself at one point in your life? I'm just too far gone. I've done too much. I can't I can't repent out of this one. I can't get back up from this one. When the disciples... Looked, and Jesus told the disciples, he said, It's hard for, harder for a rich man to make it into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The apostles... Obviously, the disciples, obviously, seeing the contrast or the the point he was making, they knew that it was extremely hard. And they said, well, then how can it happen? How can these people be saved? How can a rich man be saved? Then he said, well, with you, it's impossible. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Why? Because he's the truth. And the truth can destroy fiction, or a false. The truth can, can and it, it, it wipes away all uh, doubt. Truth wipes away all lies. Truth is the foundation in which God stands on. And if we run to Him, the Bible says that He is a strong tower. He is the truth. And if we run to it, we are safe. Amen? Only truth can save us. Only truth can sanctify us. Only truth can set us free. The gospel message does not reform people. Rather, it transforms them. The inspired word of God takes people out of darkness and leads them into His marvelous light. We have the most powerful thing in the world, having truth. When you have truth on your side, there is nothing that is impossible. Impossible. Reminds me of, uh, you know, it reminds me of uh, when uh, Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and he walks in. Potiphar's wife had eyes for him, and she wanted him. Well, he was uh, righteous and upright. What did he do? He took off running. She grabbed his coat. Well, she had proof in her hands that she was there. It revealed to be the truth. It reminds me sometimes that when people lie on us, and they may, it appears that they have they have false accusations, and it appears to be truth. But just know this: that truth always finds its way and it surfaces back up. You can't tr- keep truth down. They tried that when they put him in the grave, they tried to put him under, and he made his, It always finds its way back up. It, you can't kill it. You can mask it for a while. But truth always makes its way back up. And so she has this false bit of truth. She got it. She said, see, husband, he was here. I've got it. He says, looks at it and says, well, you're right. Let's throw him in prison. We should kill him, really, but let's just throw him in prison because you've got proof. And But because Joseph had the right spirit, because he continued steadfastly in what he believed. Because he stood firmly on truth, he kept doing what God called him to do. When there was nobody else around to say, hey, good job, Joseph, you're still interpreting dreams. He was in a, locked in a dungeon somewhere where, his truth, where the truth was masked, where the truth was hidden away. But he kept doing what God called him to do. When you're in a deep, dark place of depression, if you keep being faithful to God, God will always bring you out of your prison. If you're walking in truth, truth has to reveal itself. And so he kept doing what God called him to do, even though he was probably probably depressed. He was probably broken in his spirit. He probably wept in a fetal position somewhere in a corner. I think I would somewhere. I'd be praying every night, God help me. Help me in God saying, just keep doing what I called you to do. And he kept doing what he called to do. And the king got him out of there. And 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 put him in his house, and he become the second in command of all of Egypt because he kept walking in truth. That's why I believe that the true apostolic church in this last day, if we hold on to truth, it will prevail. Because you can't hide truth, you can't mask it, you can't keep it down, you can't destroy it. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but His truth, His word shall never pass away. And the true church will come out. People can, will look like us, will try to act like us. But as, if you do not obey Scripture and walk in truth, separates the men from the boys. The, the You know what? The, 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 there's a false church. It's unbelievable. that they, They're laying hands on people and they're, they're sick, being revealed. You know what? I don't need Joe Osteen to tell me how to build a church. He can't. That's true, Stanley. He can't. Because he's building everything. He's, have, you, have you ever seen any of this stuff? If you're a fan of him, I apologize. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But he has built his church on a lie. And I even, I seen, I seen an interview with one of our favorite preachers on TV. My favorite preacher on TV is T.G. Jakes. I love to hear the guy preach. Matter of fact, he used to walk in the truth. He used to, he used to be oneness, but now he's not. He come out a few weeks ago. I seen him in an interview. He doesn't believe oneness anymore. And he said, I don't necessarily believe what the Trinity people believe. I just," and he, he said, I walk my own thing and do my own thing. Well, guess what? His kingdom will falter because he has built his kingdom on anything other than the truth. And when you do that, you will fall. I don't care how talented he is. I don't care how big of a church Joel Osteen got. I don't need them to tell me how to get numbers, people. If you're not preaching the truth... Then you're wrong. There's nothing else. But well, he's good. He's a good guy. He's good. Well, so is people that that uh, that have charities, but uh and 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 do the, the Masonic lodge are good people and they they try to do good things. But that doesn't make them a church. Okay. We need to walk in truth. We need to have the truth and sell it not. We, we, uh, I tell you, uh, one of the most disheartening, disheartening things in my life is to, see, is to see preachers, preachers, wives, and pastors that have walked away from this thing. They have, they have sold out. They have sold out. And you know what happens when, when you start bending on that and, and, and getting away from the truth? You start making excuses for everybody else. And all of a sudden, everybody's Christian's. Everybody's Christians. You ever notice that? You people on Facebook, everybody's Christians. Everybody's smoking dope on, on one day and 9-11 hits and everybody's, at, uh, everybody's Christians. Tragedy comes, everybody's Christians. Let's pray. Drinking, you know, whatever, partying. But all of a sudden, tragedy hits and everybody's Christians. And what about the scriptures that said hell is... Is enlarging herself. What about the scripture that says uh, the truth, the straight, the, the, the truth to the truth is, is narrow, but the way to destruction is broad and fewer there, there, there's going to be to find the way to truth? It's not the other way around. Not everybody's Christians. Not everybody's going or is walking in truth. There's, there's lies and then there's truth. And I'm glad to know this morning that I walk in truth. I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect, but I know Jesus. I know the way of salvation. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Let's all stand. Let's come tonight ready to worship God. Men, let's have a prayer downstairs at 530. Uh, please don't forget that. Uh, uh, Brother Robertson, if you didn't get a key, did, is there anybody that didn't get the key that Brother Robertson passed out? about, uh, for the, uh, for the men about prayer. Is there anybody that didn't get that? Brother Jack didn't get it. Brother Zach didn't get it. Well, there, there, uh, is those keys, Sister Robertson, in Brother Robertson's office? Okay. Well, well we want to find, we, we want to get you that. And it's just a reminder to come down and, uh, to pray. Uh, we don't just want you down there. We need you down there, men. It's, it's a great time. You need to come, and, and, and please, uh, you'll, you'll, you will not be sorry. And then the ladies' prayer me, uh, room is across from the uh, ladies or the men's restroom. Come in there at 5.30 and pray. Let's have a, a good time tonight in the Lord, and uh, let's worship. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> Tell somebody the truth. Say, I'm glad to see you. I hope it's the truth. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.